strong to deliver, mighty to save. That's our God. Amen? He's got the whole world in his hands. Great, great reminder. Sometimes we forget that. It seems like somebody else has the world in their hands. But um, God is sovereign. He's in charge. Nothing takes him by surprise. So thankful for that. Well, again, Jesus welcomes you, and we welcome you. I welcome you. Again, upcoming events, especially this 9-11 tribute I want to highlight. It's coming up. Boy, it's, uh, we're planning it, and it's not that far off. Um, about a month and a half. And so we have additional flyers for that on the back table, or there will be flyers there. So please pick those up. It's a great way to invite somebody to something that's quite neutral, right? Um, Admiral, Rear Admiral Bigger will be here. He will be the speaker. Um, so of course, it's a religious service. It's our Sabbath service, but uh, it's, it's quite neutral, really. And if you know anybody that's been in the military, police, you know, fire, EMT, perfect opportunity to invite them to come. I was in, um, well, I'll just say a business here um, <clears throat> that we've been doing business with, and the gentleman is a retired policeman, and uh, he's excited about coming. So it's, it's just a great way, um, you know, even if they weren't in any of those things, um, they may want to come to this. It's going to be an excellent event. And then Tony Moore's Footsteps of Jesus, Archaeology, and then Paul Punch, who I talked with today. Next week, we'll have a little short video from Paul, just continuing to fire us up for the series to come. And uh, had some time to talk with him, and he's going to do a great job. So I look forward to that. All right, continuing in the preaching series on the book of Zechariah. And this sermon title, the series title is Unfinished Business. This sermon title is Was It Done For Me? And you'll see clearly what that has to do with. But first, another health tip and surely give us one on water. But I love this statement from Second Selected Messages. If all would seek to become intelligent in regard to their bodily necessities, sickness would be rare instead of common. Now, would you say sickness is common right now? I would say so, but this says it would be rare if we knew uh, or were intelligent in relation to our bodily necessities. So the best thing we can do are these eight natural doctors, right? And pure food, uh, de-stress, exercise, Drink water, as Shirley was talking about. That's one of the armor we have. Sunshine and fresh air. If you go out and take a nice, brisk walk, you're getting fresh air, you're getting sunshine. And so it's a, it's a great way to take care of those temperance in what we eat. And of course, sleep, very important. Dogs don't seem to have a problem sleeping, do they? But us humans, sometimes we do. Trust in God, of course. And so today, just briefly, and I'm going to zoom through these. You can look it up yourself. Obviously, always consult your healthcare team before you make any major change. But liposomal vitamin C is amazing stuff. So there's two things. There's the liposomal part, which is the delivery system. Uh, liposomal could be anything. However, there's not very many things that are carried in this fashion now. 
And then vitamin C, ascorbic acid, you know what that is. By the way, if you only have the regular vitamin C, just keep taking that, that's fine. Uh, but you may wanna consider liposomal vitamin C when you purchase vitamin C next. And here is why. Um, yeah, there's a lot of information on that slide. I'll just say this, it's a very effective method. Um, liposomes are manufactured microscopic hollow spherical vesicles composed of a lipid layer. So this is like a, this little oil capsule, right? That carries uh, whatever you put inside of it into your system. Uh, can be used for drugs. In fact, it may be in the mRNA um, vaccine. I, I, I read something that seemed to say that it was. Uh, so whether it's a drug or a supplement, it carries it into your system quicker and then it's more bioavailable when it gets there. So that's what uh, liposome does. Provides a very effective drug delivery system or supplement, whatever's inside of it. It delivers it very effectively. And so they're, they're doing research on this and now uh, curcumin, which we know is uh, anti-cancer, they're now finding a way to deliver it with this uh, liposomal uh, delivery method. And so there's some real hope there for cancer patients. Uh, the study I was reading from, that's what I'm quoting from here, we've demonstrated that oral vitamin, delivery of vitamin C encapsulated in liposomes promotes greater bioavailability than unencapsulated. So keep taking your unencapsulated, that's fine, but you may want to consider this next time, like I say. All right, so that's what a liposome is. Now, what about vitamin C? Well, you know what vitamin C is. It's an essential micronutrient for humans with pleiotropic functions. It can multitask, let's put it that way. Related to its ability to donate electrons. It is a potent antioxidant and a cofactor for a family of biosynthetic and gene regulatory enzymes. Vitamin C contributes to immune defense by supporting various cellular functions of both the innate and the adaptive immune system. There may be a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff there, right? But just, just think of this, just get this. Get this in the yellow. Vitamin C deficiency results, vitamin C deficiency results in impaired immunity and higher susceptibility to infections. So if you have low vitamin C, you have a higher chance of uh, impaired immunity. So if you have a higher vitamin C, you have a lower chance of having impaired immunity, right? So it's good for your immunity to take vitamin C, simply put. Infections significantly impact vitamin C levels due to enhanced inflammation and metabolic requirements. Furthermore, supplements, supplementation with vitamin C appears to be able to both prevent and treat Respiratory, now many of these viruses that are coming through are respiratory um, syndromes, both to prevent and treat respiratory and systematic infections. All right. And it's been around for a long time. And I'll skip through this. Now, this is Dr. Wes Youngberg's suggestions, and all of his suggestions are, uh, I thought were kind of high level, but the more that I, um, I look at what he's doing. Um, I see a lot of other people that are coming out at, with these levels. So a maintenance level for vitamin C, he would suggest would be 1,000 milligrams one to three times a day. That's three grams. That's 
fairly aggressive, I'd say. Um, <clears throat> and so I'll just tell you what I do. I take one of these liposomals, which is a 500. I might take it three times a day if I remember. I definitely take it in the morning when I remember to take my vitamins. Um, but the rest of the time, possibly. But that's what I do. And now if infected, uh, you go into the gram dosage of vitamin C, right? The body can absorb much higher levels without GI distress. And of course, that's the big signal, right? Because vitamin C is water soluble, right? So what you did yesterday won't help you today. It needs to be continually taken. So the body can absorb much higher levels, may increase to 4,000 grams, four grams, three times a day. That's Dr. Wes Youngberg's suggestion. But take your vitamin C, take your vitamin D, take your zinc, make sure your, your microbiome is doing good. And all these things will really help um, you to fight the cold. And of course, um, even if you have taken the vaccine, right? Don't think that, well, I've taken the vaccine. I'm, you know, bulletproof or whatever. You're really not, right? I mean, people are still getting sick that are getting the vaccine and the vaccine never promised to keep you from ever getting it, right? I don't think that was ever a promise well, maybe it was, but it, if it was, it shouldn't have been, right? We know that people are still getting sick even with the vaccine. So do these eight natural remedies, you know, sleep and, and, and uh, you know, exercise, sunshine, and uh, you'll be better off for it. And God will bless your health. You'll have that life and life more abundantly that God would have us to have. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word this morning. Please come, come and speak. Take your servant out of the way that you may be heard, that you may be believed upon, and that you may be assimilated, and that we may be drawn closer to you through what you speak today. Your promise is that as the rain and the snow fall from heaven and do not return there, but give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall your word be that goes forth from your mouth shall not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you send it. Send it forth today, Lord, clear tones that we may understand, that we may be convicted, and that we may be catalysts for a lost and dying world of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are in chapter 7 of Zechariah, but first a little review of chapter 6. When we saw Christ crowned as king, both prophet and or priest and king all in one. And only Christ can do that outside of Melchizedek, we see from the Bible. But so we saw there in chapter six where it said, behold the man. We know that Pilate said that in the New Testament, but Zechariah said it first, behold the man, the man Christ Jesus, who suffered, who carried that heavy cross for you and for me. He was there in Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood as the moon shone through a cloudless sky. And he was stretched out on the ground as if to keep himself from being sucked into a black hole. I mean, he was just suffering superhuman agony for the sins of the world, for your sins, for my sins. That's what he felt. And he did it all for you. He did it all for me. Of course, going to the cross. His whole story from beginning to end is a story of self-sacrifice, isn't it? 
And it's a story of self-sacrificing love for you and for me. It was all done for you. And um, I don't see Russell here, but we we like to talk together. and, And one of his favorite sayings is, it's all about him. It's all about him. And that's true, right? It should be for us. It's all about him. But from his view, it's all about you. Right? We saw that even at the coronation. I mean, oh, he's going to get a crown now. He's got to be pretty happy about that and you know, take care of that. He's happy about it. But first, what did he have to say? He's like, are, are my people going to make it? Was it good enough? Was it satisfactory for them? He was still thinking of you and thinking of me, even as he was being crowned at the coronation. All right. Zechariah 7, verses 1 through 3. And I call this section, Do I Have To? Now, how many of you have, have kids that have sometimes said that? Do I have to, right? And that's kind of what the Jews are saying to God here. Do I have to? By the way, we've looked in the past at Babylon and the expansion of Babylon, this one world order. Now we're getting a little closer to home. Uh, we're out of, by the way, we're out of the six visions. That was ended in chapter six. Uh, starting with chapter seven now, we're two years, to be exact, 22 months down the road. So between chapter six and chapter seven, 22 months. But now we're looking at the Babylon that can be here, right? Because we're not a part of Babylon. That's, that's out there. But can Babylon be here in us? Oh, I'm afraid it can be. And sometimes it is. So chapter 7, we look at now with that context, and I've got the authorized version this morning. Zechariah 7, And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the month, even Kislev. Be similar to our December. Again, nearly two years after the eight night visions. Verse 2, when they had sent unto the house of God, Sherezer, Regimelech, and their men to pray before the Lord. Now there are various translations of this. I think the best one is this. The people of Bethel had sent. So I don't think King James has quite the best translation of that because that's what house of God means. So the people of Bethel sent these representatives to pray or inquire before the Lord. And here they're really trying to get the answer that they want. Is sometimes our prayers like that? I mean, we, you know, <laughs> we're not so, I mean, we want what we, I mean, sure, we want the Lord's will, but we kind of want what we want. Which comes first, right? Always the Lord's will. And we'll always find that that's the best. And we'll get to the point where that's what we want. <laughs> is what the Lord's will is. So these folk come from Bethel and they've come to inquire before the Lord. Verse 3, and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts, that's Yahweh Sabaoth, the one who has all power to do us good, right? The, The Lord of armies. So they were in the house of the Lord of hosts And to the prophets saying, should I weep 
in the fifth month, separating myself as I have done these so many years. Now, <laughs> if you get the, uh, the so many years part, you kind of understand what they're saying here. We've done this for so many years. Do we have to continue to do this fast? Now, they had many added fasts to the fast of the Day of Atonement that the Lord called for. This fifth month fast was regarding the destruction, Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of the temple. There was also a seventh month fast, and that was uh, uh, regarding the death of uh, Gedaliah. Uh, don't wanna, you don't have to turn there. We're not going to turn there, but that's in Jeremiah 41, 1 through 10. So they had these additional fasts, and they're saying, do we have to do these things? What, you know, do we have to do them? Do we have to continue them? I mean, now the, the temple's coming together. Historians figure it about this time. It was about half finished. Do we have to continue these fasts, Lord? And they're talking to the priests here also. But the Lord answers. And I call this section, what is your motive for serving me? What is our motive for serving? Because he doesn't answer the question. He asks another question. As uh, an astute teacher would, of course, the master of all teachers. So verses four through seven, then came the word of the Lord of hosts, unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land, and to the priest, saying, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, so now he's referencing both of those fasts, even those 70 years, did you at all fast unto me? Did you do it for me? even to me? It's a solemn question, isn't it? Do we do what we do for the Lord? Or do we just do what we do because it's a ritual? It's, a, it's you know, I mean, it was, we've been doing this for years. But do we do it for Him? Amen? Everything we do, we should do for Him. He is the great treasure. He is the center of all. Did you do it? Did you fast? When you fasted, did you? Was that for me? Even for me? Verse 6. And when you did eat, so when you fasted or when you feasted, when you did eat and when you did drink, did not you eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Ouch. Should you not hear the words which the Lord has cried unto the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities thereof around about her when men inhabited the south and the plain? And so the question is, what are your motives for service, right? If your motive is fear, now, we're not big on fear in this church. We don't believe that people even burn forever and ever. So we're certainly not big on fear, but fear is still a motivator, isn't it? Among everybody. I mean, we use it, you know, you've used it on your kids probably and um, so forth. But does God use fear? Well, he, I would say he uses fear 
Because Jude says, pulling them out, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh, right? But he doesn't want to keep us there, right? If fear is what got you in the church, love is what will keep you in the church, amen? God's love is to be the motive. Now, the other is the hope of reward, right? And you see these things in other contexts, these motives, right? Fear, you know, if you don't do this, we're going to do this to you. And then there's, of course, the hope of reward. We all want to walk those golden streets, right? And so forth. But is Christ the greatest treasure of heaven to you? What if there were no golden streets? What if they were Michigan streets? Um, And someone was asking, you know, in the foyer today, is is flying scary? Because they've never flown before. And I said, well, I said, when I fly, when it gets bumpy, I just close my eyes and pretend I'm on the Michigan roads. And it works fine for me. But there's fear, right? And then there's hope of reward. Oh, I want to get to heaven so I can walk those golden streets and have my mansion. Where's Jesus in that, right? I mean, those things aren't wrong, but where's the ultimate focus, amen? It's got to be on Christ. He is heaven to us. And so what is your motive, right? Because motives are crucial. And those that receive the mark of the beast and those that receive the seal of God, a huge difference is going to be the motive, right? They're going to, some of them on the mark of the beast side are going to seem very religious. But what is your motive for serving God? This is from a little book called Faith and Works that I absolutely love that uh, Ellen G. White wrote, says this, I ask, how can I present this matter as it is? The Lord Jesus imparts all the powers, all the grace, all the penitence, all the inclination, all the pardon of sins in presenting his righteousness for man to grasp by living faith, which is also the gift of God. Amen? If you would gather together everything that is good and holy and noble and lovely in man, well, how about all my my tithe and offering giving and my Sabbath keeping? I mean, I'm on a pretty good streak here. If you gather that all together and present the subject to the angels of God as acting apart in the salvation of the human soul or in merit, how would that be considered? The proposition would be rejected as treason. (laughs) It's pretty strong words. You can't get there on your own merits, amen? And so much of Israel's history is that, right? Trying to get there on their own merits. You know, I, I, I kept the fast. Surely that gave me some extra points, right? I didn't even have to, and I did it. No, no. Now listen to this. This is amazing to me. This is from another one of my, this may be my absolute favorite, Uh, book on the life of Christ sitting in the hall of Congress is one of the premier uh, commentaries on the life of Christ, the desire of ages through heathenism. Satan had for ages turned men away from God, but he won his great triumph in perverting the faith of Israel. So he did a lot when he was outside of the church, but when he got into the church, it was even worse by contemplating and worshiping their own conceptions. The heathen 
had lost a knowledge of God and had become more and more corrupt. So it was with Israel. The principle that man can save himself by his own works lays at the foundation of every heathen religion. So every heathen religion, you name one, it's all about climbing stairs and you know, saying prayers and holding up stuff and all kinds of things, right? It's, it's all about works. Every heathen religion has at its foundation that man can save himself by its own works. It had now become the principle of the Jewish religion. It's in the church now. How about y'all? How about me? Satan had imparted this principle. Now get this last part. When I read this, I'm like, what? That can't be. How could that be? Wherever it is held, this thought that man can save himself by his own works, how much barrier are you going to have against sin? Zero. Zero barrier against... I would think, well, even just, you know, being a good legalist, I'd have some barrier, wouldn't I? I mean, at least I'm staying away from stuff. Zero barrier against sin. Strong statement, Desire of Ages, page 35. Why do you do what you do when it comes to Christ? Or when it comes to life, right? There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works on your best day. It's like filthy rags. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Come on and say amen if that's good news. Jesus Christ alone. Where is your service? Is it for him Turn with me to Isaiah 58 as we will uh, go off there. We'll, you might want to keep your finger here. We'll be back here. But Isaiah 58 talks about a fast, doesn't it? Isaiah 58. It says this, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet you seek me daily, and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness, as if you did righteousness, and forsook the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you're not even looking, Lord. We're doing all this. Are you watching here? Look what, I, look what we're doing for you. We fasted and you don't seem to see it. Wherefore, why have we afflicted our soul? And you, you're not taking any knowledge of this, Lord. Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your laborers. As one commentator put it, when you're fasting, you're so angry, you want to beat up your laborers. So <laughs> that kind of fasting probably isn't going isn't to cause anything righteous, is it? Or going to do you any good or the Lord any good. Behold, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. 
You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Remember the two men in the temple, the book of Luke, right? The one guy, is, he's praying to himself. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not like lots of people, especially that publican over there. And the publican, what did he do? He just said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen? And one of them went down justified. Who was it? It was the publican, right? The publican went down justified by faith. So that's how we find justification. But here we have the same thing. Verse 6, though, we start getting into the true religion. Verse 5 and 6, we're still in Isaiah 58. Is, is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Do you call that a fast and an acceptable day unto the Lord? Is not this, here we go, the fast that I have chosen, says the Lord, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. So that's true religion, right? Right there. That's not ritual. That's the true fast that God's chosen. Go out and help somebody. If the Battle Creek Tabernacle wasn't here, Tomorrow, would anybody notice? Are we in our communities working for the salvation of souls? Now, there's a term called disinterested benevolence. That's a good term, right? But it never means that we're not interested in their salvation. So true religion, true, the true fast right? is to deal your bread to the hungry, to bring the poor that are cast out to your house. When you see the naked, you cover him and you hide not yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth as the morning. So why do you do what you do? Is it for Christ? Is it for him? Was it done for me, is the question in the book of Zechariah. Was it done for me, or are you just going through some motions thinking that you're gaining points, or what's happening here? How about you today? We've talked about the Babylon without. What about the Babylon within? Selfishness, pride. Christ says, give that to me, and I'll replace it with joy unspeakable. Continuing in chapter 7, of Zechariah now, verses 8 and onward. And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying... And now, so now here's kind of his way to, to see true, true uh, religion or true relationship with Christ in action, right? Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. And that is your brother. Who is my brother, right? There's a parable of that in the New Testament, and it's a pretty wide swath, who is my brother. But sometimes, even in the church, how could it be? There are skirmishes, right? And people hold grudges. Oh, it should not be, friends. It should not be in God's church. It should not be in your community. 
should not be in your family. I've gone to funerals where, and it's a broken world, I, I get it, but where people are at odds with one another and it's more about who's going to get whatever <laughs> uh, this poor guy had left in his bank account and, and they're fighting with one another. How, what is that going to tell the community? What is that going to tell the rest of the family? How are we going to win people with that kind of a spirit? So maybe, just maybe, if you're holding a grudge against anyone, maybe it's time to go to them and just say, I've seen brothers and sisters and they won't even talk to each other. The only time they get together is at the funeral. That should not be, folks. God wants better for us than that on this earth and in the earth to come. Verse 10. Oppress not the widow. Quite simple, right? Take care of the widows and the orphans. By the way, your church, you may not know this, but your church just gave in the area of 150 um, Real Heroes, which is a, a, a canvassing book um, in Spanish, to the uh, children, the fatherless, that are being housed in Albion at Star Commonwealth. Uh, they're bringing kids in from the border, kids that were dropped off at the border. And uh, one of the places they're housing them in, is here in Michigan. You might say, well, it's quite a ways from the border. It is, but there's a, that's a super facility out there that uh, Mr. Starr had this vision to create. But anyway, praise the Lord for that. We pray that uh, there'll be seeds planted and fruit uh, one from that. But take care of the widows and the fatherless, the stranger, the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. That's verse 10, verse 11. <clears throat> Unfortunately, they refused to pay attention or to listen. And so there's sort of four cascading steps down away from God in this verse. Very important you pay attention to this in the next verse says they refused to hearken and then they pulled away the shoulder now this is the same language of what an ox would do that doesn't want to be yoked up right it's he's he's no i don't want to be yoked up christ said his yoke is easy his burden is light but they would not be yoked they pulled away the shoulder and then thirdly stopped their ears so now, not only have they pulled away the shoulder, they're like, they're not going to get anything else because they are uh, holding something over their ears that they should not hear. And then verse 12, sadly, yes, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Wherefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. And so this heart of theirs became as hard as stone. That word in the Hebrew and other places is like a diamond. How hard it is to break a diamond? Almost impossible. So the only good news for that is <laughs> God's promise, right? He can't, he can't fix that. You can't fix that. But he can replace it. Amen? He'll give you a new heart a heart of flesh. 
That's God's promise to us today, to take away the stony heart and replace it with a heart of flesh. Going on, reading through the end of this, verse 13 now. Wherefore it came to pass that as he cried, that is God, as God cried, they would not answer. So they cried, and I would not answer, or I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations whom they knew not. By the way, that was in some ways a blessing to scatter them because then they could take, they could rethink what was going on in their lives, A, but then B, they could take the message to the world. Thus the land was desolate after them, and no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. So you see the onus really is on them, down, 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 away, away from God. But the promise again is God can give us that new heart. And I would encourage you in your walk with God to do it for him. Amen? He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of all that we have. Pastor Paul Punch is so into this message of righteousness by faith. I talked to him again, and he's getting ready to get married. He's going to get married in September. He's going to come here in October and do the evangelistic series. But he's like all out. I mean, he's like, he's like it's, it's all or nothing. He's like, this is, this is everything. This message is everything. Jesus is everything. Oh, I pray that that's your experience, that that's my experience, and that the rubber hits the road, amen? That as in 1 Peter, um, you know, the, the thing is, uh, people will ask you, what is the hope that you have, right? And then you will give an answer, and then you will give an answer. So to close, if you'll take out this little poem, it's on the back of the sunsets. Something I wrote when I did this series, I noticed, because it's from 2014, when I did preach through Zechariah and California. And in closing, we'll read this. It's called, Was It Done For Me? Goes like this. It says, I looked from heaven to earth below, my people there to see. They did the things the law required, but was it done for me? They came to church and paid their tithes, but did it grudgingly. They even prayed down on their knees. But was it done for me? The way they talked and the way they looked, you would hardly call them free. They seemed to bear a heavy yoke. But was it done for me? My only want, my great desire, is love shown willingly. A heart response to grace divine shown to the least of these. So live your life to bless the world and do it joyfully. The Christian religion is a joyful religion, amen? We should be the happiest people on earth that when I come, I may say in truth, they did it all.
for me. Let's pray. Father, it's possible that parts of our lives and parts of our religious life and our Christian experience have been sort of a sham. And Lord, you so want to fix that because we're missing out on such a blessing of knowing you, the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. Oh, what a God we serve today that would draw us close and in open heart communion. Salvation, as one person said, is not so much hard work as it is heart work. Lord, where is our heart today? May it be with you fully and completely. Forgive us, Lord, if it hasn't been. If maybe sometimes we even go to church just because we have to. Oh, Lord, please give us a daily devotional life where we are knowing you as our personal friend and as the treasure of our entire lives. Lord, you know the story that I've told a few people about a treasure, the uh, Abraham Mingus treasure and so forth. Anyway, it's another story. But Lord, just recently you taught me again that the greatest treasure, if I never found a treasure buried somewhere. I already have a treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The greatest treasure of all is you. It's you as the main reason that we want to go to heaven. Oh, we want to see our loved ones. For sure we do. You've put that love in our hearts. But Lord, we want to commune with you for eternity. And that's what you want so desperately. So give us, Lord, that true Christian experience that we might take it to a world that is so desperately in need. And Lord, there's sometimes we've got it and other times we sort of don't. And forgive us for the times we don't. But Lord, make it a consistent thing that we are abiding in Christ. Oh, indeed, Father, may the heart of worship be you and you alone in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.